Hi folks, welcome to the premiere video version of the Backup Central Restore It All podcast. It's a bit of a hot mess. This is my first time editing the video that we get from the streaming service that we use to record the audio. And I learned a lot of things while editing, but um, you know, it's still a mess, but it is what it is. I thought I'd throw it up there. Uh, you should especially enjoy the fact that I didn't notice until editing that when I wear these headphones, um, my hair looks kind of funny. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed that. <laughs> Welcome to the premiere video episode. Uh, I'm sure they'll get better. <clears throat> In a typical ransomware attack, what is the last thing that you do? Pay the ransom. No. <laughs> no. That was a good no. answer. Don't pay the ransom. Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restored All Podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup, and I have with me my wall-leveling consultant, Rasana Malihundi. How's it going? I'm good, Curtis, and I hope the walls are still up. And they, not... they are up. They are as level as they're going to be. It, it, this is sort of a, it's sort of a, you know, it's a subdivision off of a garage. It doesn't have to be, you know, I'm not building a, Perfect. what do you call it, a, a uh, what do you call it? A uh, a load bearing wall here. It's it's yeah. really just a divider, but um, it's been a it's been a it's challenging well, couple I, of days of what I was working on. And I yeah no, and I think the challenge is you're trying to do all of this without destroying it, right? If yeah. you just could like yeah. destroy everything and rebuild <clears throat> it, it would be easier. But I, just, I think <laughs> last time we talked about prices, right? Of lumber. Yeah, and yeah. The cost. So exactly. So you know, for those of you. That are curious. Um, I moved a couple of small walls. I literally moved them. They, they, they. It's really hard to describe what I did, but but imagine two six foot long, ten foot high walls that have studs, you know, wood studs and drywall and and uh, insulation inside them, and then disconnect them from the top and the bottom, and then just move them. Um, without completely destroying so simple. them. So simple. Just totally simple. <laughs> so, you know, if the if the drywall wasn't on the walls, it'd be easy peasy, right? But I yeah. I I wanted to leave at least a good portion of the drywall on because I was going to cover cover that with plywood. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. I would have done it completely different now that I've. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're almost done with it. Yeah. Yeah. Now that I'm almost done with it, I would have done it completely different. But the idea, if, if I'd have, if I'd have thought about the fact that I was going to cover it with that, that it was going to get damaged as much as it was. And I was just going to cover you it. You would have just taken because, all the, yeah, because I'm making it, I'm making it into a shop, into a wood woodworking shop. Yeah. And if I knew, if I thought about the fact that I was just going to cover it up with plywood, I might've just stripped off the drywall and yep, then just put weight. plywood up instead of. Although, the problem would have been, even if you stripped it out, you'd still might have, it would have saved weight, but you probably still would have had to worry about like insulation falling out and all the rest of that. Uh, yes. Yes. But it would have saved you like 150 pounds. 
Yeah, it would have saved me an awful lot of weight, which was really in the end the core problem. It was, yeah, it was, yeah, it's, it's been, um, and at times I was actually moving each of these walls myself. But the, I had I had a helper, my son-in-law, uh, for when I when I really had to move them. But there were times when I had to like, I'm just going to move this out just a little bit, shimmy and it, just put it back, yeah. shimmy it a little bit, and put it back, and yeah, that was. But it's 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 at a finish point at this point. It yeah. is the walls are in place. The the drywall is up. It look not the drywall. The the plywood is up. Uh, it looks three thousand times better than it did. And by moving these walls, I increased the size of my shop uh, quite a Which bit. It's so, always important. Yeah, always important. Now that I'm going to put like big tools in there, um, and um, of course so, that's why you need a shop, right? Is so you can put the tools and. You could use yeah. the tools in an enclosed space so you don't get... I bought some tools, and then so I needed a shop. And then I had a shop, and so I'm like, I need some more tools. <laughs> <laughs> you know you know what's probably next, right? What? Tell me, tell me what's next, Persona. What's the next tool I'm going to buy that, that I don't have? A planer? Yeah, that's probably going to be... <laughs> I knew you were going to say planer because you've always been trying to get me to get a planer, but I'm not there yet. I'm not in the planer stage, you know. Uh, well, actually, actually, and then after a planer, you know what comes next? What? A joiner? A no, a CNC. No, no, a joiner. Yes. I'm sorry. The joiner comes before the, the CNC. I don't think I have room for a CNC. I but. think you do. They make fairly compact and you don't, not like you park your cars in your garage. Well, not in this part of the garage anyway, right? Yeah. It's a three-car garage, and I, I took one of the cars and made it into a woodworking shop. Right now, it's just an utter mess, though. <laughs> it's like <laughs> stuff's everywhere because of the, you know. Well, that's the problem. It's like, yeah, well, you need to empty out that room, right? It has to go somewhere, and it's a good thing you cleaned out your garage like two weeks before you started this project. Well, I, I did that in in yeah, preparation. preparation for this yeah but right now my garage is just you'd never know that i had it spotless like a week or so ago because <laughs> because to do what i'm doing you had to i had to take everything off the walls i had all the stuff on storage on the walls mm-hmm. so now i have to put all the shelves back and put stuff back up on the shelf because then the next thing is flooring so but wait so i know that you also put up i know we're digressing here but i know you also put up storage system in your garage are you planning at the outside part of your garage, are you planning to move that inside now? Yeah. Yes. Yes. The storage. The one you just up. finished all, off like last Yeah, week. the one that I just put up. But you know, that was that was pretty easy to put up. So I'll yeah. I'll definitely move that over uh yes, over there. And um and now I'll probably put together a French cleat system and that storage yep. system that I just bought and put up will become passe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you could use it for something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's perfect for like all those screws and nails and yeah, whatnot. But in the middle of all of this, while I was like trying to get some stuff done, that my my phone beeps, and and as a twit, it was a Twitter. Was it, me? it was a Twitter mention. Twitter mention, and uh, Tom Hollingsworth, who works for Gestalt IT, the folks that bring us Tech Field Day of which I am a fan. Tom decided hey, to basket. poke the bear again. What's that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 basket. Tom decided to poke the bear again. And he, because he, he, the last time he poked the bear, you may recall a couple months ago when he, he had some, he was talking to some, some, um, some folks and, 
and he he sort of suggested that the entire backup industry had just rebranded itself to be ransomware protection, and that he he, he did it in you know he suggested it in a very unflattering way that you know first off that that we were just we we weren't we weren't pivoting we weren't we weren't changing our product we were just ambulance calling it chasers. a ransomware product yeah we're ambulance chasers yeah. And, uh, I, I took, I took offense to that. And I'm like, you know, first off, um, ransomware is just a new thing that we have to protect from it. And the solution is the same. Yep. I mean, you need some more, but you, you do need backup yep. and a good disaster recovery plan, right. To, to respond to a ransomware request. And, uh, and, and, and also, uh, Druva, and we'll come back to that in a second. Druva, I know Druva specifically has created a number of ransomware specific features. So the idea that we just, you know, slapped a ransomware label on the product is just just offensive. Yeah. But the Druva one builds on top of a lot of the existing capabilities, but it's really tailored for dealing with ransomware, right? Yes. Speaking of Druva, that's where I work. Prasanna works for Zoom. This is not a podcast of either company, and the opinions that you hear are ours. Please rate this podcast at ratethispodcast.com slash restore. And also, if you're, you know, if you want to talk about this stuff, we talk about all sorts of things in and around data protection, privacy, security, um, you know, barbecue, beer. Uh, <laughs> if we can somehow relate it. <clears throat> back to data protection um you know pandemic will... pandemic yeah we've covered we've covered covid quite a bit so elections elections we yeah we did we did we covered election security so and, and by the way i'm just gonna say the same thing i said back then if you're concerned about election security volunteer go see what it's like inside a election uh polling place and i i think that i think it would surprise you but speaking of data protection one of the first things that that Tom said, once again, he just sort of suggested that we had somehow like rebranded backup to data protection because of ransomware. First off, that's just not the case. The term data protection has been around for at least 10 years that, that I can remember. Cause I remember, you know, we, we joked about the fact that it took me 10 years to do the book. Uh, the original, the original version of the original outline has the words data protection in it. And to me, data protection is sort of, it's, it's just sort of a, a more all encompassing term than backup and recovery, right? Data protection includes DR, it includes archive, it includes a whole bunch of other things. It includes replication and replication, right? Yeah. Uh, more than just backup. Mm -hmm. And of course in the book, I redefined backup and I said backup was anything that protected the data in the way that backup does, which includes replication and snapshots and things like that, as long as you do them properly. Um, so yeah, so, you know, he, he said that at the beginning, but then he, he went into, you know, an interesting discussion point. And the, the long and short of it was that he, it was interesting how he, he made the point in a couple of different ways. His short answer, his short point was that security, or I'm sorry, was that backup is a security function. And mm -hmm. he, he made that case in a couple of ways. One was that backup, like security, it's um, like one of the things he made was that if you had an unlimited budget, 
would you do more? He was just saying that because you don't have an unlimited budget, you have to do trade-offs yeah. in security yeah. just as much as you do in data protection. We don't we don't all have RPO and RTO of zero. Go ahead. But I was thinking about that and I was like, anytime you talk like to an application developer or an infrastructure person, mm-hmm. they have those same trade-offs as well, right? They don't have necessarily an unlimited budget, even though they might think they have an unlimited budget, right? But they're making those same trade-offs. It's like, from a storage perspective, do I buy SSD? Do I buy spinning disk with some SSD, right? I don't have unlimited budget to go buy whatever I want. or Because otherwise, everyone would buy tier one storage. <laughs> Everybody, everything would be on Optane. Um, right? Otherwise, like and- none of those other trade-offs would have to exist. None of those other companies would be building products. To deal with Virtual, that, right? it's no different. Virtualization wouldn't exist. Yeah. Or because if the I look whole at point of virtualization is is utilization of resources. Yeah. Yeah. And, or if I look at Amazon, right? Amazon S3, why does AWS keep building new storage tiers, right? It's because there isn't an unlimited amount of resources, right? Everyone doesn't have an unlimited budget. And so people are making those trade offs. Yeah. So I, I don't. I don't get that. Yeah. Um, so th- the one though that was interesting that I right. thought yeah. was mm-hmm. he did raise a point um, how security is protecting you from things you don't want to happen. I think is mm-hmm. the gist of it, right? Um, right. Networking, right? You need networking in order to function. You right. need infrastructure in order to function. You only mm-hmm. need data protection when something goes wrong. You only need security to prevent bad guys from coming in. Right. This was the in a perfect world uh, logic yeah. that he used. In a perfect yes. world, would we need backup? No, yeah. all storage is perfect. Nothing ever goes wrong. Nobody ever deletes a file. There aren't yeah. hackers, et cetera. And if there aren't hackers, then we also don't need security. Uh, so so he's basically saying that, that they're sort of related, related. right? And, and I don't argue that they're related. Um, I, th- I think that, I, and, and we're, we're going to get to it in a minute. I, I think the, the, where I really took issue was his final point. And, uh, but, but let's just talk about that. Let's talk about the, the fact that they're related. So you just recently, you know, what, six months ago now? Yeah. It's been about Left. over six months. Yeah. yeah. So about six months ago, you know, you worked for, for Druva for, for a while. Mm-hmm. And we're, you know, a data resiliency, data protection, data, you know, data yep. backup company. What, how much do you think we talk about security? Oh, all the time. Because, yeah, you have to worry about customer data, securing it, making sure it's not accessed in an unauthorized fashion, right? Because customers are trusting you with their crown jewels, right? Their data. Yeah, I would argue that since I came to the company, which was a little over four years ago, that most of the like add-ons, so if you take off added workloads, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we added AWS, we added Hyper-V, you know, in in my time there, we added Hyper-V, we added AWS, we added... SQL Server, we added, you know, we added Oracle, Oracle, obviously Oracle. We, other than the addition of workloads, the majority of features that I've seen us add are 
security-related features. And right? I would also say a lot of the customer conversations I was part of, right, I think everyone kind of understands backup, right? They're like, okay, it's another workload. Yes, there are going to be nuances. But they started to ask about these other questions, right? Like, how do I deal with, is there something you can help me with around disaster recovery? Or how do I deal with um, security issues? Or how do I deal with ransomware, right? It's, yeah, it's, but the core of like backup, people understood and they're trying to say, okay, I have a solution that solves my backup needs. Now, what else can I use it and help me solve my business problems? And it right. could be even things Things like how do I help around legal and compliance teams, which have to do e-discovery type use cases and workflows because we have all this data, right? So it's right. not what I would call your core backup use cases that we normally think about in terms of restoring the data, be it file or server level or entire site level, right? But it's all these other cases that people are like, what else can I do with my data? Well, when I look back, like the first non-platform related feature that I remember being added while I was at Druva was role-based administration. And this is absolutely a security feature. Yep. When I ran backups back in the day, I mean, it's been a while since I've been the production guy in charge of a backup system. But back then you ran the backups as root, you know, yep. you logged in <laughs> as root and everything was root. And I mean, we, in the data center I was working in, there was no windows. So, uh, you really root or administrator. And if, if there was a separate ID for backups, it had, you know, for the Unix, Unix folks out there, it might have a, there might be a user, user ID called backup. It's UID was still zero. <laughs> yep. right? And, um, same thing with, with windows, you, you would make it an administrative account. Right. Yep. And if you, so if you were running the backups, you were essentially all powerful. And by the way, it, um, Tom hinted at that. He, he, he made a comment about, um, oh, yeah, that's right. he made a comment about if you knew the level of access that your backup person had in your environment, you would be, uh, scared or something. Do you remember exactly what he said? You would be, I, I don't remember surprised. the exact words, but I do remember he also mentioned that a lot of the attacks, they are starting to target your backup software because of the amount of access it has in your environment. This is where, um, those two things together, I think Tom's information is just a little bit dated on how backup systems work. Now, if your backup system, if, if, if it requires root level access to administer the backup system, then you need to change backup systems, right? Now, a backup system will need root or admin access to get installed, but once it's installed, if it's a process once it's or whatever, installed, it should not be running as root. No. In fact, uh, it, it's, and again, going back to back in the day, if you go back to, you know, 100 years ago, when, when I was running these root level backup systems, I used to make the joke a lot that you really needed to befriend your backup person because they had the root password to everything, mm -hmm. which meant they had the ability to both easily destroy all of the primary data as well as all of the backups. Yep. And that was a real problem 30 years they ago. They were God. They were God. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. 
but and so so Tom, I think, is reacting somewhat to the way backups used to be. And again, if that's the way your backup system works now, you need to fix it, right? Call Druva. We'll explain to you how this is done in a modern world, right? You do need, like, for example, when we authenticate to Microsoft 365, we authenticate, you need the administrator level access one time to gain access to the right thing. And then after that, the only thing you're able to do is perform backups and perform restores. You're not able, you don't have admin access have on access. Microsoft 365, right? Um, and the same is true of, you know, backing up laptops or backing up servers, backing up virtualization machines, backing up AWS, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera right? You, you create a role in, so in AWS has done really well here, right? You have a, you have, I, 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 I have trouble saying that word. I, I am. I am. Just say I am. Um, the it could be like the dog food company. I am. What? You know, I am dog food. No, no. I am dog food. To me, I, it was yeah, a, a, a biblical reference. Too complicated. Gotcha. Anyway, that's where I went. When I heard I am, that's I immediately yeah. went to the biblical reference. But but AWS does a really good job. Yeah. Yeah. You have you have a root level account and then you yep. create all the IAM accounts to do the actual stuff. Same thing in the backup world. Someone sometime needs to have root or administrator access to set up the backup system. But modern backup systems, good modern backup systems, do not require the backup administrator to be root or administrator to do their job. Yeah. The other thing a lot of these systems do, right, is they are taking things a lot more serious in terms of like audit logging, right? Who's accessing what in the system? Who's doing things on the console, right? Which I think ties back in, right? Even though they may not have root level access, right? You still have access to data, right? You probably want to know who's doing restore operations, right? And all the rest. So they're logging all that information, which can be useful for like your security team who wants to understand and monitor like who's doing what operations, where's the data going, all the rest of that. You can even, and and I would argue a good backup product. You can even make the t make one team of people or one identity or one role that has the ability to configure backups. Another role has the ability to execute and run backups, and mm -hmm. another role that has the ability to do restores. You can make those three separate of groups duties. of people. Separation of duties, right? You said that, duties. And, and <laughs> <laughs> <separate>. <laughs> And by the way, you know, I like Tom. Tom and I, you know, we respect each other. If I want to poke him, I'll talk to him about how I think IPv6 should have NAT. And then he gets about as he gets about as upset as I am right now at him. When I did listen to the or when I watched the video, right? I I think I told you this, right? Like it sort of like caused my blood to boil a little while I was listening to it, but at the same time, I was like, no, what he's saying, like, it causes you to think, right? It's a perspective that you may not have ever thought about before, right? Not saying it's right, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but it at least right. gets you thinking, right? And there might be some truths, like you said, right? Data protection and security, they're kind of similar or related, but they may not be, like, I wouldn't go to the step that you took of saying they're the same. Yeah, right. they're kissing cousins for sure. Yeah, it's interesting. So I've come a long way in my respect 
for information security. When I was back in the day, when I was doing backups, you know, for production, running of backups and backups ran that way back in the day, I saw them as my number one enemy (laughs) and they saw me as their number one enemy because I always wanted to do things or, or let me rephrase. I needed to do things yep. to to get my job done that they saw as unacceptable. Risky. Let me yeah. get let me give you a perfect example. I, I'll give you a couple of examples. One was uh, have, have you ever if you you know what SSH is obviously. Do you know yep. what RSH was? Yep. Yep. Okay. Predecessor. Um, that's still, I think it's still out there. Did they? Yep. Did they? Yeah. I don't think it's um, gone. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But just if, if you set up, you can set up SSH so mm-hmm. that you can do things without a password. Yep. You, you, use keys, you have you to generate keys. You share your exactly, public key. Right. You can yep. do that. And if you have that and you trust system A from system B, you can say SSH host name, do this thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And you can do that as root if you've done that as root. RSH, it required a single setting where you just put you um I forgot what man, it's been a while since I've, you know, architected an RSH system. But basically there was like a single file that you had to put a host name in, and then boom, you could RSH as root from system A to system B. That doesn't sound very secure. <laughs> That's not very secure at all. But again, we we this is thirty years ago. We didn't we didn't think about security in the same way that we do today, right? And I remember. But the thing was, our the the reason why I bring this up is the ability to RSH as root without a password was the only way I could get backups done because we used dump, right? And which requires you access on the system. Which and require you root, up, root level access to get it done. And if you want to do any sort of centralized stuff, you need to you you need to RSH the ability to you'd RSH over and say do this dump to this to this tape drive, and that was the only way you could have any sort of centralized control and management because we didn't have any you know we didn't have all the cool stuff you have today, um, and so the, the the security department was always trying to shut me down. And I was like, man, I get, I hate you people. Like you're, tr- you're trying to stop me from getting my job done, you know? And why you gotta uh, be the, the man. Don't be the why man. You gotta, why you gotta <laughs> be the man. And, and I have one really good story of the intersection of Curtis and the security people, but we're going to save that for the end. Um, because it's going to prove my point of why I think it's a really bad idea to have, information to have the the backup folks roll up to the information security, security folks yeah. but but back then yes we were at war i wanted to i had to open up the world or i couldn't get my job done their job was to lock down the world i can remember working for a very large household name company where at that company I could RSH as root without a password to any other server in their world anywhere. And when I say world, I mean world. <laughs> yeah. And 
so yeah, so security's come a long way, right? And back then, backup people, and and there is a continuing problem. What what one of the, what what's the thing, Prasanna? What's the thing I say that I say one thing that has remained the same forever in in backup? Do you remember what it is? I say it a lot, almost delete. as often as I. What? The people will delete their data at the wrong no, time. No, no. That your backups fail. will fail. No. When <laughs> to test your backups, verify your backups work. No, no. You're killing me, uh, Curtis. I need more hits. Yeah. Well, nobody wants to do the backup. Nobody yeah. wants to be the backup person, right? Yeah. Oh, that's true. And be- and because of that, it is quite often that the backup does go to a very junior person, right? <laughs> I was just going to bring that up. I still remember your stories that you tell of sort of, yeah running like backup for a major financial institution and $35 billion dollar company. I'd been there for like three weeks and I was running all the backups <laughs> and I had had, I had learned how to log into a Unix system like two months prior to that. Right. <laughs> and, and here I was running all of the backups, which, re- well, which required root on all the servers. Yeah. No, and that's the thing I was just going back to our earlier discussion. It's like if you're root as backup admin, you have access to everything in the company, which honestly probably most people at the company probably don't even have access to. All right, you want you want me you want me to throw myself under the bus? You want me to tell me want me to tell you the dumbest thing I ever did as root? Are <laughs> um, you ready? Oh, you're never gonna guess. Okay, go. So we we were concerned about the impact that so many backups were having on the network. We were running on a shared 10 megabit 10 network. Yeah, 10 base T shared, not switched. Mm-hmm. And um the and these were <laughs> these were these were cables with vampire taps, okay? This is like the co- wow. coax level of networking, yeah. right? This is some old school stuff here. And we were concerned with, with you know, the traffic. And just so I said to myself, and the good news, but the good news was that the data center was relatively small. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> so I said, I want to fire off a crap ton of backups and see just what kind of impact it has on the network. And I'm like, I'm going to mm-hmm. do this on a weekend, right? So I come in on a Sunday and um, I wanted them all to kick off at exactly the same time mm-hmm. and just see just how bad the network would get. I was doing this proactively. It's sort of like a controlled burn, you know, of a, yeah. <laughs> a forest yeah. fire. Yeah. So, but it's Sunday. It's a bank. It's nobody there. So what I do is I create a cron job to fire off the backups on all the servers at exactly the same time. Yeah. It goes as planned. The backup, the network comes to a screeching halt. Oh, no. I'm like, okay, let's not oh, do that no. again. And did you delete and then the I, cron And then I went job? home. You didn't delete the nope. cron job, did you? Nope. <laughs> oh, my God, Curtis. So. And, and what time do your backups run? Or was your cron job for? It was like, like like 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. Oh, <laughs> so, man. On a Monday morning. On a Monday not on morning. A holiday. Not on a holiday. 
the back of the network just comes to a screeching halt. And we had these consultants that were, that were working there and they were very excited because they had just put in these network monitoring tools so that they could help us understand what was going on with the backups. And when I, when the, the network just crashed and then I looked up at the clock and I went, Oh crap. Right. So, so they're all, they're over there. They're pulling out their stuff, right? They're pulling out their tools, right? And they're logging in and they're doing the thing. I very quickly realized what I had done and I logged into the systems and I deleted and the cron jobs and killed the process. Well, I killed the processes and then deleted the cron jobs. And luckily, again, it, it was maybe, I don't know, a dozen servers. For, for a $35 billion company, it was a relatively small open systems environment. We were mainly a okay. mainframe environment, right? Which is good. So you didn't. Yeah. So I killed. And by the way, do you know how you kill processes on on a dozen servers at once? Uh, RSH, baby. (laughs) Oh, boy. For for I in Elvis, Apollo, Dubaflucci, et cetera. RSH to server name. uh, PS-EF, grep for dump, pipe to OC. Print dollar two pipe to XRX kill minus nine. How'd I do? What do you think? <laughs> I yeah. I'm wondering if you have that like tattooed somewhere on you. <laughs> Something you can <laughs> never forget. So, so anyway, so I killed I killed all the backups really really quickly, and then and then. Somebody, I think somebody saw like a backup process or something in one of the network monitors, and they're like, "Curtis, are you running any backups?" And I said, "Nope." <laughs> <laughs> Someone has no audit logs. They didn't ask me if I was running backups. They asked me if I was running backups. And I said, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not, uh, nope, I'm not no. running any right now. Yep. Nope. Nope. That is completely truthful and accurate. <laughs> so um, why did I bring that up? I, I, I'm just saying that things have come a really long way from those days. We don't give root to the backup person if we know what we're doing. And any good IT person should be should be solid in the areas of the basic areas of the security, and they should understand things like separation of powers. Yeah, and you know the least privilege. The concept of least privilege here is really, really important. A person who's running the backup system and who is maybe and quite possibly a junior person should be given just enough power to do their job and, and no more. Yep. Don't I don't make care if it's minute. easier <laughs> for them, right? When, when, when the agent gets uninstalled on a server and you need to go over there and put that agent back in, let the, let the, you know, let the, let the big boys handle that problem. Yeah. Don't give that to the backup guy that just joined three weeks ago. <laughs> right. So, 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 so the, so the attack surface is relatively not, I'm sorry, the, the risk is relatively low with the backup person. It's nowhere near what he was suggesting. That was back in the day. Um, and that problem has, that problem has been addressed. Now he brought up, um, an idea that in the case of a, a a ransomware attack or a disaster or anything, well, specifically, he was bringing up the ransomware attack. That wouldn't it be nice if 
the backup team was like on the same team phone as a tree yeah. but, but here's as the my, security people. Yeah. And here's my problem with that. It's, and I know that we've had Tony from Spectrologic on the call, right? Or on the podcast, and he's talked about his issues, right? right? I think in the end, IT and everyone works together, right? Security, IT, right? They all have their own individual roles and responsibilities for how to recover from this issue, right? Um, Right. You have the infrastructure guys trying to bring things back up and understanding and trying to figure out what can be brought up safely, right? Or how to stop the bleeding. You have the networking guys trying to figure out how to isolate things. At that point, like, I think it's difficult to say everything relating to ransomware recovery should be owned by one organization, right? Mm. I don't think that makes sense at all because there's so many people involved in recovering from this incident. Well, let me ask you a question. In a ransomware response, right? Setting aside the exfiltration problem, which is a different different problem, but in a typical ransomware attack, what is the last thing that you do? Pay the ransom? No. (laughs) (laughs) That was a good answer. Don't pay the ransom. But in a in a yeah, yeah. in a typical last... good, re- what is the last thing that you do in the process? Oh, restore your data. Right. So this or bring idea up your applications. That... I should say. I should say bring up your applications. Well, you, you, yes. Of... Okay. Yeah. Yes, but restore the actual restore process is the last or one of the yeah. last steps in a ransomware response. Way before, and again, you spoke to when we had Tony on there. Way before a ransom, a restore begins, you need to go in, you need to shut things down. You need to, um, I think Tony you know, called it stop the bleeding. Yeah, stop the bleeding. You need to figure out what's been infected, what's not been infected, so that you know what you need to restore. And that's going to take a while. How long, how long did he, did he say it took them? I think they got some of their production up within a week and it took them, I think another week or two to bring everything back up. Yeah. So you, so you have to do all of that. You have to do this like disinfection or disinfection or, um, um, you know, just sort of figuring out what's been infected and what's not been infected, what, what you have to restore. You have to figure all that out before. And then you do the restore process. So the fact that, that the backup and restore team would be on the first incident response call. Yeah. phone call. <laughs> I, I don't see it saving anything. Yeah. Um, the only thing I could see, and this is where it changes depending on if it's like uh, the backup and recovery team or restore team, right? Is if they needed to fail over into another environment, like if they had mm-hmm. a cold DR site. Right? right. But I think even then it's, might be like it's not just going to be the backup team it's going to be working with the application team it's going to be working with the infrastructure team the network team like all these other teams in order to actually be able to do that right to initiate the dr right it's it's not going to be you know curtis is on the call we got a ransomware call i'm not going to hang up from that call and press the restore from dr button right there's gonna be an awful lot of work that goes in it's going to be a team response we're all going to be on a call together um, and so now, so, so, so I, I, I meant, so I'm minimizing what he described as the benefit of having the backup on the, on the security team. I, I will acknowledge that, 
Um, maybe by having the backup folks on a security team, it might help ensure that they were more security minded, but it's not going to guarantee it. Right. And, and I think that you can make the same claim of application developers should be part of the security team and infrastructure people should be part of the security team. Right. It's like, at what point is like everyone just under mm. one team, you know, <laughs> like I think calling out backup and recovery team specifically, I think makes no sense. <laughs> so let me say why I think it's a really bad idea. So I, I, I don't agree that the benefits, I think this is one of these where the risks weigh, the risks greatly outweigh the benefits. And we're going to go back to something that we've always, we've already mentioned, which is separation of powers and least privilege. Mm -hmm. I don't like having a single organization whose responsibility, they're both, and I use this in a tweet to Tom, their responsibility is both building the moat and repairing the walls to the castle. I don't like that. I don't like having a single team with a single group of people. By doing that, you've, you quite possibly create a person whose job it is to manage the security and manage the backups. And now you've gone back to 30 years ago where we have a person who has the ability to both enable an attack and stop the company's ability to thwart that attack. Yep. So to me, that it violates the concept of least privilege and separation of powers. Yeah. I, I would also say it's comparable, or one thing that went through my head is when you think about why was the backup team split off from the function, like the role and responsibility of like an application team or an infrastructure team, right? Mm -hmm. It's because those teams, they had their own focus and their own charter. Like they were so focused on making sure production worked, right? They didn't understand the requirements. They didn't understand how to work with compliance and understand what the uh, business needs were for keeping this data. And therefore the backup team kind of got that responsibility. I think the security team is really focused on how do I thwart um, attackers? How do I make sure internally that we are secure, right? That's a job in and of itself, throwing in the backup team. Like they're going to be so different. Like I can't imagine being in a single meeting with both those teams like every day, you know, <laughs> like what they're doing is different, right? On a day-to-day -day basis. Overall, they yeah. might be ha have common strategic alignment, but when it gets down into the nitty gritties, I think they're going to be different. The other thing that makes me, or the other thing that I think would happen is that we make backup design decisions purely from a security, security mindset. Yeah. And I will go back, and this is where I, I promise you a good story. <clears throat> and I, I, I may have told this story on the podcast before, so bear with me if, you, if you've heard it before. But the day was, the year was 1999. Little thing called Y2K was coming, and I was working at a large software company creating a new backup system. And it was a huge implementation. It was, I remember, um, 
it was net backup 3.2 back in 1999 and they came up with a lot of new features that we used but a lot of features had a lot of unintended features of them so i remember writing 175 custom shell scripts to make <laughs> to make that backup do what i wanted Ouch. it to do and the other thing I remember was this particular company, and I'm going to let them go nameless. This particular, it was a customer, it was a client. They were they were the most security focused company I had ever worked with in my career to that date. Mm -hmm. They, for example, had internal firewalls. I'd never heard of such a thing. So you couldn't get from server A to server B unless there was a precise business reason for server A to talk yeah. to server B because they stored what we would now call PII and personal information, financial information. And then comes along Curtis with his net backup based system. And the first thing, again, going back to 30 years ago, the first thing I need to do to create a centralized backup system is I need to be able to talk to all the servers. Mm -hmm. We get in this big meeting and the security people are like, no way. So, so it's like, so what you want is like, I mean, they had hundreds of servers. So what you want then is, is a hundred different backup systems, right? You know, we were in there and we were, you know, we, we, the, the powers that be basically told IS they weren't getting what they wanted. Yeah. And, and they, and they, they dictated from on high this server, this backup server, we'll call it Apollo. Whenever Apollo is talking to any other server, let it happen. Mm. Right. Apollo's hope. And, and we'll figure, we'll figure out a way to make this more secure after this little thing called Y2K. We have this yeah. problem coming. We have to do this complete redesign of the backup system while also preparing for Y2K. We don't have time for, for what you think of as, as information security best practices right now. And so whenever Apollo is talking to another server, let it happen. Don't pick the ports because we net backup was notorious for sort of using a range of ports rather than just, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, certain port, yeah. right? D you know, don't don't do that. Just anytime Apollo is ta talking to any other server, just let the rules, let that happen. And I was there for several months and I was working like 90 hours a day. I'm sorry, not 90 hours a day. I was working 90, 90 to 95 hours a week. In fact, this was, this was a San Diego company. And I, my company that I worked for got me a corporate apartment closer to this company so that I could get some sleep because oh they gosh. were an hour's drive from my house. So that, yeah. that meant getting four hours of sleep a night instead of two. And I was working nonstop. I mean, seven days a week. Y2K's coming. We don't have a choice. It's, and we were having all these problems with, with net backup. And, and uh, you know, we, we would say, hey, here's this. We, we turned on this feature that we, that we want to use. And this is the way it works. And the response was so many times working as designed. Hmm. So hence 175 custom shell scripts. So, you know, I was killing myself. And what kept happening was the security team was not listening to the edict. They would, they would watch net backup. They would see the ports it was using. And then they would go, okay, we've got it now. It's from port 13782 to 13, you know, yeah. 850. And then he would open up just those ports. 
And then the next day, NetBackup would use a different set of ports and the backups would halt. Yep. And it, it became such a common occurrence that I remembered. Uh, so I, d- I developed a way to test that it had happened. And the way to test it would happen was I telnetted to the BPCD port. BPCD was the uh, BP. BP was Backup Plus, which was the original name of NetBackup, for those of you that don't know communication demon. So the BPCD port, I would telnet to BPCD, right? Which would, which basically would pick the telnet Open. or the, yep. the, the net backup port and it would hang. It wouldn't respond, mm. you know, and, uh, that would, that would show me that the, that the IS group had <laughs> blocked my access. So this kept happening. So then what happened was we had code freeze. Mm-hmm. That you know, no more changes. We everything's done. No more changes, and and we're just going to run. You know, we're just going to run now because Y two K is coming. And I remember thinking, okay, this is going to be the first night where I know I'm not making any more changes. They're not making any more changes. All I have to do is just watch the backups. And by the way, the backups kicked off at ten o'clock at night. So yes, I was in the data center at, at 10 o'clock at yeah. night. This is why I was working 95 hours a week. And I, um, I, the backups kicked off and they did the thing that they would do when they had done this. And so I really quickly, um, they blocked uh, the ports basically. I, I did. Yeah. They blocked the ports again. And then I, I telnetted to the BPCD port and it hung and it's 1030 at night and I let loose. I, I, I'm by myself in the building yeah. and I just let loose with get freaking get, get, you know, 19 <laughs> curse words in a row. And I remember that my, the guy that my, my sponsor, essentially the, 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 the manager to which I reported to as a consultant. He was still there. Ah. <laughs> he stuck his he stuck his head out, and he's like, "Are you okay?" And I'm like, "The security people, with the ports, <laughs> and the thing." And he's like, "I got it, right?" He's like, "Don't blow a casket." He's like, "I got it. I'll get it fixed right away." And and he did. Like within like 20 minutes, it was it was fixed, and the backups worked, and everything. And and they got severely scolded for that. Mm. The point of the story is that's what happens when you have 100% focus on a particular uh, discipline yep. run a different discipline. Their their priorities were out of are whack. Different. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying that you, it's it wasn't a good idea to do what you're doing. What I'm saying is by doing what you're doing the way you were doing it, you were preventing this corporate function from happening. Yeah. And so that was the first thing that came to my mind when Tom suggested that the backup folks should report to the IS folks. Mm. You're like, I no. want to say, you know what? How about the IS folks report to the backup folks? <laughs> I think yeah. they're different disciplines. I think so too. One is, one is they're a, focused you on know, different thing. Yeah. They're focused on different things. One builds the moat, the other repairs the wall. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and yes, they're both essentially prevention 
well, backup, well, it backup is a prevention tool, but it's prevention from like going out of business. Exactly. Right. It's yep. not so much a prevention tool. Uh, although modern backup tools have added some features. like privacy oh, prevention features. Like I think of, yeah. you know, with Druva, the ability to, data to scan data coming in and say, Hey, uh, this, yeah, like DLP that. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, scanning spreadsheets and say, hey, this spreadsheet has social security numbers in it that you told us you don't want to store. Uh, Steve has been storing social security numbers in his spreadsheet again, right? Stop it, Steve. Stop it, Steve. So there, there's some prevention aspects to backup tools, but by and large, it's a it's a reactionary tool, right? Um, and I, I would worry that being run by the IS organization would change that focus and would change the design in such a way that wasn't good for backup. It was good for security. You know, a, a perfect example of this would be, you, you know how to have the most secure data center ever, right? Air gap. Yeah. Unplug all the cables. Right? Yep. <laughs> if you only care about security, you just unplug all the cables, right? And the, the point and is that's that, not practical. you know, yeah. That's not practical, right? Uh, well, I, I again going back to that going back to that <laughs> that company that I told you that that had, where I had work at RSH everywhere, they had a payment processing system. They were a, they were an e-commerce site, and they had a payment processing system. And they said the the security people said, "Well, you can't have access to that." I'm like, well, how am I supposed to back it up? They're like, "I don't know," but you can't have access to that. And I had I had to go up the chain to the CIO. And say, IS is telling me I can't back up this server name because it's the credit card stuff and that the stuff is too sensitive. And they're like, you know, they made a phone call. They're like, let Curtis give it, get access to, to the system so he could back up. Like, what do you think is going to happen if this server goes yeah, wrong? Exactly. You're screwed. You know, <sighs> anyway. Yeah. You know, but that's what happens when you have a singular focus on a singular thing. Both of these, both of these disciplines are trade-off disciplines. Yep. Well, I, I think you made a point earlier in the call that all of IT is a trade-off discipline. Yep, exactly. We don't all Every get what we thing. want. Yep. If if we all got Unless what we want, money. everything would be a physical server. Everything would be on Optane. Yep. We, every server would have 17 terabytes of RAM. <laughs> right? Exactly. You never have to um, make any of these trade-offs, but that's not how life is. But that's not how life is. And so risk, so each side, again, I, I think I made a solid argument of why you should, why you should definitely separate them. And I just, I just, I don't, I don't see the, I think each, each group should, should follow Focus their on. discipline, follow the yeah. best practices of that discipline. And talk uh, to which of course they can together. learn by, by reading my book, Modern Data Protection. And around. they should also work together and talk together, right, to solve these and come to compromises. Because in the end, someone's everyone's going to have to compromise, right? Because no one can be the ideal, like what they want to do, right? And it all comes down to what compromise do we come back to, right? What solution do we compromise to that still reduces our risk as an overall company? Absolutely. It's all about risk management. Yeah. So with that said, Tom... I strongly disagree with your suggestion. <laughs> Thanks for the thought-provoking topic and for once again giving us something to ramble on about here on 
Backup Central's Restored All podcast. Uh, it was it was fun. What do you think? Talking no, that about was a good, that was a good one. Yeah, that was a good topic. It got us thinking in ways that normally we don't talk about, right? And I'm sure there are other people thinking the same thing, right? You could also argue, hey, why isn't backup part of the storage team? Why isn't backup part of XYZ team, right? So backup is secure. often part of the storage team, yeah. but I don't think I think it should be a separate. Again, I think it should yeah. be a separate discipline, but. Um, so, so the next episode, do we talk about IPv6 and that? <laughs> oh, Curtis, just gotta like jab it in, turn the knife. Hey, turnabout's fair it. play. You know, you poke it, you poke it in my neck of the woods, buddy. And then yeah. send me a tweet. Send me a tweet saying, I wonder what at WC Preston thinks about this idea. Yeah. He was poking the bear just to poke the bear. For the listeners, where can they see the original video? Yeah, so you can see it at gestaltit.com. I think that's... Sorry, Tom, but I strongly disagree. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Rosanna, for having a good chat again. No, thank you, Curtis. And good luck with your wall. Hey, the walls are up, baby. Now I mainly now I just need to clean up before, <laughs> before Mrs. Preston gets home. <laughs> She doesn't know just how much work I did in the garage. I told her that it was a big surprise, uh, but uh, I don't think she's going to be excited about it as, as as excited about it as I was. But whatever. Yeah. Um, anyway, well, thanks to the listeners. Uh, you know, we we love you. Glad that you're here. Tell tell all your friends, and be sure to subscribe so that you can restore it all.
it'll be complete.